You or someone you love needs help for an addiction. Where do you turn? Foundations Recovery Network offers individualized treatment for the whole person. Our goal goes beyond short-term sobriety. We address substance abuse and co-occurring mental health issues together, providing a firm foundation for long-term recovery. The first step is often the hardest, but we're here with a free assessment, insurance information, and treatment options. Our confidential helpline is available 24-7, so call 877-714-1318 and discover the Foundation's Recovery Network difference today. What up? Thanks for tuning in today. Thanks to humans for bringing us in. And as always, thank you for your continued support of the show. This is Seth Manter, and you are listening to Sober Guy Radio. Super pumped, super energetic today. I have Siri DeMuth. Siri has been a practicing psychotherapist since 1992. She works psychodynamically with children, adolescents, and adults on San Juan and the Orcas Island in Washington, where she specializes is in issues related to trauma, addiction, and attachment. And I'm sure there's many more issues that she that she works on. Uh, Siri is a mother, a grandmother. Uh, she's an occasional photographer and a super super talented writer. Aside from working in the mental health, Siri has been touched by addiction through the entirety of your life as she has had to struggle to deal with guilt, shame, pain, and the fears of parenting a son who struggled with addiction for over 12 years. And most recently, she finished her memoir entitled The Way We Stay. But before we get to Siri, be sure to check us out at www.thatsoberguy.com. There's a bunch of resources there. You can check out all of our past episodes, and you can get information on upcoming live shows and events. Also, if you feel so inclined, you could hit me up on Instagram at SoberGuySeth, or you could email me at Seth at thatsoberguy.com. So what's up, Siri? How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Seth. It's great to be here with you. Yeah, and you know, I'm gonna. I just want to share with the listeners a, a little conversation um, that we had before I hit the record button. I uh, expressed to you, man, the the energy of the com the um, communications that we had before, and like I was super pumped to have you on today. Um, just because you know that that energy that you had transcended through me, and I'm I'm definitely sure that uh, you know the listeners will be able to hear your passion, your energy um, on on some some very uncomfortable topics. Um, you know, obviously this is a, a sobriety podcast, but you know, feel free to say talk about anything. I want to let's talk about some fear, some pain, um, some shame, some guilt. Whatever it is that you feel like talking about, please, please feel free. Um, so, so I, I think we're just going to dive right in, Siri. Um, I want I want to hear um, basically about your childhood. Um, 
you know, uh, reading a little bit of the way we stay, um, you definitely share, uh, shared and wrote about some of that shame, guilt, um, growing up as a young child and then moving into, you know, parenthood as a young mom. So, um, just take us back to where it okay. all started. You know, I think for me, the beginning of my sort of childhood story started with, or my trauma, my childhood trauma started when my mom, um, when I was two and a half and my parents were really involved in the politics in 1969, when I was two years old, I was born in 67, the summer of love, and my parents were young, radical college students. Oh, and yeah. They, yeah, and they were in UC, at UC Davis, not kind of near you. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, so they were really radical and hippies and doing that. And that was kind of a sweet part. Of my early childhood was that first couple of years was pretty sweet. My mom spent a lot of time with me um, just on her hip and uh, making flower daisy chains and selling her hippie wares in Seattle because we moved from the Bay Area to Seattle when I was uh, a baby. So my dad could go to UW. And um, so it was really a sweet time in a way, kind of magical. But then my parents got more political and my mom ended up, and my parents ended up leaving me and my mom stayed away for a while, um, joining the weather underground. And that I think was something that all of a sudden I knew bad things could happen. You could lose the person you depended on most. And I think that started to inform everything for me. Um, so that, that was sort of the beginning and then she did come back, but I don't think we ever fully recovered, um, from that. So, um, that, that's, that's a big beginning of my story and why, um, and how I started to figure out and learn about sort of what separation does and, and then what happens when it gets rewounded because then, you know, as childhood continued, you know, my mom left in other ways too. So that was really painful. Yeah. So there was definitely, so you definitely had to deal with some uh, like desertion at a super mm -hmm. young age. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, there was, there was probably some shame and guilt. Um, so at this time, were you just raised by your father with your, with your mom was, was gone? You know, it was really not a very long period of time, but I, my dad, they both left. And I went into this home with some other, another baby. Um, there were other people, radicals in the system, and they, they took in some kids that their, their parents were joining and going underground, and then the kids were going to be taken care of. My dad didn't last long. My mom only lasted, you know, they tell it different, you know, three, four weeks, maybe a, a couple months. It's a little blurry the exact details but my mom did come back she didn't want to be away from me it didn't feel good and um so she came back and then i was with them both but it something broke there yeah yeah and i could see how there could you know obviously some pain some pain that comes so was in as growing up was drugs and alcohol i mean obviously you grew up in the summer of luck so you know yeah. intuitively like <laughs> I know that there was drugs in, involved um, during that time frame, but was it was it something that was like super present in your in your childhood? As your were your parents like super users, quote unquote? Um, no, you know my mom was my mom's kind of lightweight, so she couldn't really do much. You know, she get a contact high, and that was good for her. 
she really couldn't track <laughs> and drink or smoke. You know, she did a few times, you know, use when I was young, but my dad was more like the daily pot user, the daily drinker, the, you know, he was just kind of more, that was his daily thing. And when I went to kindergarten, I remember I was told like, don't tell anybody about the pot. Yeah. <laughs> you so know, crazy. like, yeah. Yeah. So it, it, until sixth grade, then one day, one of my friends in sixth grade were like, Oh, your dad smoked. Oh, my dad smoked, you know, but the daily pot smoking and then the drinking, which my dad never drank. Like I never really saw my dad drunk. He was just always kind of checked out. So, yeah. And that's, that's so funny. You know, that's kind of how I rolled for the, for the longest time too, is that, you know, I didn't get high. I stayed high. Right. Yeah. So it kind of, it kind of sounded like your dad um, was living that life too, before it was cool. It was just mm -hmm. kind of one of those things um, that he did. And mm -hmm. he probably didn't show that it was that he was struggling with that because it was normal for you to see that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was normal to me, but I did start to see that in the e when I was a teenager, I could, I started to see and more of the agitation that came with when someone's not high and they're coming into your world, it's irritating. Yeah, for sure. So. For sure. So, so let's get into uh, your early, your early parenthood. So obviously you, you made it through elementary school, junior high, and then you had Nate at a, at a very young age. So, so how old were you when you had Nate? I was 17 when I had Nate and, um, he was, um, so to back up a little bit, yeah, you back know, it up. in sixth grade was when my parents got divorced. Okay. And so that really shook me to the core, you know, their divorce. As, as my family kind of started to unravel, I start, you know, right at a time when I needed them to be solid, right? I was getting ready to dive off the diving board into adolescence and they all dissolved, everything, all my foundation went away that foundation I'd been building since I was two. So for me, so I, I had, um, so I was getting kind of shaky, you know, and uh, mad, angry, I was super angry. Yeah. And um, Nate's dad and I had been to school together since we were kindergarten. And he and I connected up like end of sixth grade at our Fort K of Casey at our little end of, you know, camp trip at the end of sixth grade. And oh, wow. we were just, kind of smitten with each other from that day forward but it was sort of tumultuous so it was sort of back and forth and a lot happened in his life and in mine and um i i was pretty shut down and just angry basically my anger just grew through adolescence but um nate's dad kind of came in and out of my life and then we ended up getting pregnant with nate the summer that we turned 17 um after we'd broken up that you know that's how it always that's how it can go we were done yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. you know <laughs> yeah one more time well there's nate and uh so i was but i was game i felt like it was from i felt like it was meant to be that i was meant to be nate's this baby's mom and um i dreamt about him when he was a few months old a few months in my belly i dreamt about this little boy in my grocery cart and uh, I just felt really strongly, even though I panicked um, in that first trimester once and was like, ah, I don't know if I can do it. But then I just settled into it. Yeah. And so, I mean, obviously that, 
again, that goes, that's intuitive, right? Like you're young. Um, I'm sure there's, there's some excitement, but there's definitely some anxieties I'm sure that grew, um, at 17, here you are, you have a, a newborn baby, um, that I'm sure you love with all your heart, but you probably at that point, like you don't even really know what love is. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, you, so you don't, it's, it, it's, it's kind of a, kind of a tricky situation. So how did, how did you manage to get through? Cause obviously you were on your own at this time, right? Had you mm-hmm. separated from your parents, Nate's dad and you, like you had referred to, you guys had broke up. So was that, was it just you and Nate at this time? Yeah, it was just, you know, my mom, my mom was supportive and I lived with her at that first um, few months I was pregnant till I got my own place. And um, my dad was, you know, ambivalent, but you know, he was okay with it kind of. And, uh, and then Nate's dad and I couldn't even, we couldn't even really talk about it. You know, we were, so we were estranged. So I was just doing it myself. And my mom, to my mom's credit, my mom was a good mom in so many ways. So I knew a lot about being maternal. And I was, a nat- I was always a babysitter. I was always love the kids. I, you know, my mom was a nurturer, maybe not structure always, you know, but she was a nurturer and a lover, you know, and she just loved, she did love me and showed me how to love. And so I, I knew I could do that part. You know, I knew I could do the loving part. So I maybe did know a lot about love in a certain way. Um, so I just, I just dove in, you know, the three, you know, as soon as I knew I was pregnant, which was like right away, I just knew it. I quit, you know, I, I no more beers, no more cigarettes at the beach, nothing, you know, just, okay, work, go to finish high school. I finished, talked to my school counselor. I finished in January when I had Nate in April. And I just was going to waitress and be, I, you know, got a little time off. I, you know, got some welfare and stayed home with him at first. Then I started waitressing a little. And then I was like, wow, this is for the birds. I got to get to college. <laughs> so I, you know, we packed up and I applied to college and we, I packed up my st- our stuff and we moved to Olympia in June to go to Evergreen. So. Yeah. So, so now that time, what are you probably 18, 19, maybe early twenties? Yeah, so by I was 19, Nate was, you know, 17 when he was born, and then he had just turned one, and I was um, about to turn 19, I think, when I went to college. So something that is super intriguing to me, because I never, I didn't have the opportunity, well, I did have the opportunity to go to college, but I I pretty much pissed those opportunities away, because I was most definitely caught up in my addiction. Um, I started super early, probably 14, 15 is when I started drinking and drugging. Um, So what I want to know about is what the atmosphere of college during that time, and how you handled that um, with a baby at home or with a young child at home, did you, were you able to partake in the activities of college or were you still, you know, like I have a baby at home that I can't, I can't hang out and I can't, I can't go out and party. And then also Mm -hmm. I want to be, I want to be super transparent too, that, you know, you don't identify as an alcoholic. Mm -mm. No, no, but I, I did drink, you know, as a teenager, I started smoking pot in eighth grade, skipping school, you know, sitting over my friend Cindy's vent, air uh, stove vent, smoking her dad's pot, her stepdad's pot, you know, we did all of that and drank 
you know, I, I drank, I think I tell a story in my book about being at, um, a cast party with my mom and I drank the, I drank a whole bottle of champagne and my mom rubs my back and I'm throwing up, you know, in the toilet. I'm like, not even 12. I don't think, I mean, I don't know. I was so young. And, um, so I just, I definitely had a thing with, you know, alcohol. I mean, I took, you know, did the speed when I was a teenager trying to be skinny, you know, take a few black beauties, drink some diet Pepsi. You know, I wanted to be, I was always a little chubby. So I always wanted to be a little skinnier. Still do, you know, so. so what's a black beauty? <laughs> it's speed. Oh, like okay. A, it's just speed. Okay. That was what they had in the eighties. Okay. And, uh, so, you know, I was, I was looking to feel different yep. in adolescence. Definitely. I didn't want, want to be in my body. I did not want to be in my mind. I didn't want to. Um, I felt like I think a failure. I think I've spent a lot of time feeling like I wasn't good enough. I didn't, under, I didn't have what I needed. I needed more than my parents could give me. They weren't really, they were kind of confused about what I needed. And they tried, you know, but you know, it's hard being a parent and they, I think I needed a lot. I think I was more wounded than they realized. Cause my brother, you know, he had a different experience and valedictorian baseball player, you know, star player. He was just, he, everything was different for him. So he was younger than me, but so for me, I just, um, yeah. So I, I tried to inebriate, anesthetize myself. Um, when pregnant, it was like it gave me permission to get out of that. Oh. It, it was like, okay, I'm done with that. I didn't drink for a couple of years. I mean, I think I had, I mean, I didn't drink for years, and then I drink a little. Like, I can count. I probably went out. I probably drank, you know, went out with any friends in college like five times. I mean, yeah. in three years or four years. I mean, I... I sat with my and Monica on the step after after I'd put Nate to bed, you know, and she'd come over about eight or nine and we'd have a glass of wine and smoke a cigarette, you know, and then I go in and do my homework, you know, and she go do hers. And I didn't try to partake in college. I don't even know what that's like. I just went to class. I came home and I took care of Nate. My mom came down every Wednesday, took care of him. So I didn't have to pay for childcare that one day. My mom gave me a little bits of money every month. My dad did. My aunt helped me a little, helped me get a car at one point, you know, used car. So I had this support, you know, a little bit, just enough little bits of financial support. And I waitressed at this place in Olympia called Gardner's Restaurant. And, you know, that was a great money maker for me a couple nights a week. And, um, but I tried to just minimize my time away from Nate and be with him as much as possible. I, you know, and I didn't want to be away from him. Yeah. So I just, I just want to back up a little bit because you talked yeah. about something that was super interesting um, and super common for, I think the majority of us people that are in this human body. Um, I can't speak for everyone, but I think there's a lot of people that are always looking for a way out of the way that we are feeling, some of the, the stuff that we're dealing with in life, um, some of the stuff that we're dealing with in our own minds. And it sounds like at a, at a young age, like drugs and, and, and alcohol and speed and the Diet Cokes, like that kind of did that 
for you a little bit, but then you got pregnant and that was kind of like, I can't, I can't do this shit anymore. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important to, to say that, um, you did kind of identify a little bit with being the unease of self at an early age. Absolutely. So going through college, obviously Nate's getting a little bit older. Um, he's growing up. Um, did you ever see those signs in Nate that he was maybe taken after mom of being uncomfortable with self at an early age? And, and if so, like, when did you start to see that happen? Oh. The only reason I asked that, because I truly believe um, that for me, alcohol wasn't the problem. Okay. I had a problem with self. Um, drugs were not my problem. I definitely had a problem with self. And the alcohol and drugs, they took me out of self. So, um, and then now, and, and then you take the drugs and the alcohol away. And now I have to deal with self, right? So getting back to the yeah. original question, like when was it that you started to maybe see that Nate kind of had a problem with who he was? Mm. Well, I certainly started to see his grief early on you know, and it bothered me, right? I saw his sadness about his dad and also his sadness that he had this mom who I thought I had enough for him, but it became very clear he needed so much more than this 17-year-old girl could give him. Yeah. You know, who was trying to like grow up and make a life and, you know, I wanted to get an education so I could be a better mother, you know, and, and learn how to stay and learn how to take care of him. But I saw that that was really hard. I mean, I felt that every day, you know, just in the way that, you know, just in the way that you're trying to get out the door and you only have two hands, you know, and he needed sometimes more. And I, so I think I pushed that away, but I saw it, but I tried to say, it's enough. It's enough. It's okay. It's, a, you know, and talk myself into being okay. But a lot of times, but I felt, like he missed his dad and he only had little bits with his dad, but I knew that a boy as he got older and started to be Superman and Batman and do all that, you know, like he, you know, he was looking, he was always looking for the men, the guys who worked on the prop, you know, at the apartment where we lived across from the college called Ash. He, um, you know, he wanted to follow the worker guy cutting down the tree, you know, and I would spend hours just thought we'd follow the worker guy. And then he liked my brother and he wanted my dad, you know, he was looking for his male. I just felt like he was looking for his man person, you know, now, very young. So, God, so relatable. So my, um, my parents, you know, they got, they got divorced when I was super young. I think I was maybe two or three years old. And um, up yeah. until the age of 10, um, I was raised by a single mother who um, was just kind of, struggling to give myself and my brother um everything that she could give us and i i like nate like was always drawn to the man because my dad wasn't around my dad was only around when he wanted to be around and we were we were separated by state um you know he would probably call my mom maybe once or twice a year when i got to talk to dad um, I yeah. would go out and spend maybe a week. So, dude, 
And and here here I thought like you know maybe I'm the only one that ever had to deal with that. So thank you um, mm-hmm. for sharing that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a big part of Nate and and my story and our story because I was looking too to find that person, you know, for him. I felt so guilty. Talk about guilt. I yeah. felt guilty. I felt responsible. Like what had I done? Yeah. What have I done? Here, this little boy is you know, sad and he goes to school and everyone has a dad and he doesn't have his dad and his dad was, you know, fishing and Alaska on, you know, coming and going and had his own addiction issues that kept him absent. And it was, it was painful. It was painful for all of us. And I was fighting it all the time, you know, resist. I wasn't resisting it, trying to make it different. Yeah. So, and then, so that guilt for you, it most definitely led to shame, right? So you probably started to hate yourself over some of the guilt you were feeling. Is that accurate? Well, I think I had deep shame for my mom leaving me, that I was bad, that something, and my dad's um, rejection, you know, who he was there, but he did, he was conflicted, I think, about I didn't know. I I don't know. I I really, you know, it was painful relationship for me. And that, and so I think I had like, what's wrong with me that my mom would leave me that my dad does not adore me? What is wrong with this? You know, so I think I had that shame. And then I was going to do it different. And then I felt this guilt when it didn't go better. You know, when he was, I mean, I was trying so hard, but it was, I just, like running as fast as I could, but I couldn't heal Nate's, his wound, nor could I heal, nor was I healing my own fully. I was still trying to be good, right? Mm -hmm. To heal instead of, I was trying to be perfect. I was trying to be perfect, Seth. Um, So if I am a good therapist and I'll be a perfect mom, he'll wear the clean clothes all the time. He'll have the best shoes. I heard you guys talking about shoes this morning. Nate has a shoe fetish as well. <laughs> so do so do I a little. But Nate's is worse. Yeah. But it's kind of a joke in our family. And um, you know, so I always wanted to have the shoes. I had the Nord's, you know, take him to Nordstrom to get the, you know, he had the Oshkosh overalls. I never shopped oh, yeah. at the thrift store. You know, I was embarrassed, you know, with my food stamps, you know. I but I was always trying to make it better. And I don't know where I was going with that, but I guess where well, I was no, going no. with that, yeah. I think I think that's important, right? Like you were trying to fill that void with some, you know, materialistic shit to make you guys feel better, to make Nate yeah. feel better that he was, he had things to be happy about because he had the new shoes and he had the new mm-hmm. clothes. And, you know, deep down inside, you probably knew that that wasn't going to um, fix those things for Nate. But... Yeah. You, you, you definitely had those as examples for him. Like, Nate, we're doing okay. Everything is all right. And deep down inside, both of you guys are, what it sounds like to me, fighting the exact same battle mm-hmm. in your head. Yeah, in our hearts. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so let's just, let's get into, let's get into Nate's addiction a, a little bit. So, so what did that, what did the start of that look like? Oh, fuck right that looked bad (laughs) um so i so i was uh, been in this relationship in this marriage since nate was eight and um 
really wanted to be a mom again. I loved being a mom. Like, I love being a mom. It's one of my favorite things in the world. You know, it is my favorite. And so, but I'd only gotten to do it once, and I really wanted to do it again. So, um, ended up adopting a little girl, um, Vida, from Guatemala when she was five months old. And, um, you know, went through this whole kind of process of getting to that and telling Nate and talking to Larry about that and, you know, just what that meant to me. And I was about 30, I was 33. Well, within a year of bringing Vita home, Nate was within a year, yeah. Um, yeah, within a year, a little less than a year of bringing, Ace home, bringing Vita home, Nate started deteriorating even more. He had already, you know, he was dabbling maybe smoke pot and I got, he got in trouble and I made him stack a bunch of firewood and no, you can't hang out with Julia, you know, without a parent there, but then that didn't really matter. You know, I was trying to manage him and keep him connected and keep him close. And, but once Vita came, you know, my focus was really on Vita. And I think he, I think, and I think he said this, maybe experienced that as such a loss and also seeing Vita's dad be show up right yeah he's a show up kind of guy and um so here they are here here he is watching you know kind of losing me watching vita get everything he ever you know wished he had although she had the mother loss so it's not like she didn't have her own wounds yeah. here we all are wounded yep. and uh, <laughs> walking wounded yep. and um but he just and then by so by january he was using meth so I brought Vita home in March or beginning of April. So, so, so how old, how old was Nate when Vita came into your guys' life? He was 15. He turned 16 when the month April and she came home the beginning of April. He turned 16 the end of April. So did Nate share any of those feelings with you? Like what that did to him or did, does yeah. he even know, did he feel deserted by you? When V like basically like I, I hate to say this, yeah. but I'm just gonna say it. Like uh -huh. you were throwing Nate away and you were mm -hmm. plucking this new daughter. I think you know, at some point he did make say some things like, you know, you just you know, I you you kind of deserted me. Yeah. I mean you just it was mm -hmm. painful to watch I, you were all I'd had and now you had your focus somewhere else. I was watching you do love someone else and I didn't feel like he didn't feel like he had me anymore yeah who's to yeah you know so we've had that conversation a couple times and but not um not recently you know I think I think it just stirred up a lot you know it was triggered it triggered that not enough feeling you know which as long as I was doting maybe and doing everything we could kind of avoid that yeah yeah. Yeah. So, and you know, what's crazy is that you probably don't look at it because you had probably some really good intentions. Um, you know, you said you wanted to be a mother again. Mm -hmm. You know, there was an opportunity for, I'm sure for you to help Vita out. Um, was there, was that some of that intention that you had, you were in a position to help another human being out? Was that? Not really. You know? No, I was totally selfish. Okay. I really just wanted to be a mom. And and I thought I was a good enough human to give somebody love, but it wasn't, I would have been, I did not, it didn't really come from that place. It really came from a place of wanting to be a mom again and not, that not being a, 
not a way to do that naturally, you know, with Larry and, but I just felt I, and I did, I was aware that Nate could feel that way. So I had tried to preempt that, you know, and talk about that ahead of time. But I also wasn't willing to change my mind. Yeah. Yeah. I had sort of decided it was what it was for. I wanted it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's, you know, human nature. Again, that's one of our um, survival mechanisms is to be selfish, right? Like that's, Mm -hmm. that's a way we, we choose to survive in this, in this crazy world that we live in. So let's get back. Let's, um, sorry for pulling you off the track, but Hey, it's all good stuff. So Vita's in your life. Uh, She's been in your life for a year, a couple months. Nate's 15. He's partying socially. Like you don't mm-hmm. see it as a big deal. Um, and I'm then nervous. It turned, nervous. Like there was <laughs> a little nervous. bit. Of, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. let's get, okay. get back to, so at 16, I think you said he started doing meth at 16. Yeah. Yeah. And then I started seeing the signs of that and I started trying to reel him in, take him to therapy. Like, I don't know. I was just grasping. He was fighting and angry and um, not himself. It was, you know, he was he had sores. He was unreliable. He, I was driving around town, my small little town, looking for him on the street corner all the time. Like, I don't know what was going on. It was, it was bad, you know, and I was terrified. I was terrified. And, um, and it wasn't until his friend Alicia finally, you know, called me and said, I called me and said, yeah, he's fucked up. It's bad. It's as bad as you think, Siri. Yeah. That I was like, okay. And then that was when we, when I just like put everything in motion and, create a situation to send him off to one of those outdoor programs called Anasazi in Arizona. So uh, how old was he when he went to this first, uh, so it was like, a, it was a treatment program, right? It was a rehab that he went to. Mm-hmm. He was how 16, old? almost set, and a oh, half, wow. a little, you know, it was January of six when he was 16. And, uh, and that was, yeah, eight weeks he was there. And, and then, uh, so, during that time, was there any, like, what, how did you, how did you talk about that with Vita? Well, she was one. Oh, okay. And a half. Okay. So we didn't really have, you know, it was like, you know, brother Nate, you know, Nate, Nate's going to go get hell or, you know, yeah. he's working on his stuff. Yeah. So, so <laughs> she didn't super young, had no idea what was going on. So Nate was in rehab for eight months? No, eight weeks. Eight weeks. He's eight weeks outdoor program. Okay. And I want to say Vita didn't know what was going on intellectually, but she was privy to all the tension, right? And yeah, for sure. Anger and for sure. emotion, yeah. For sure. Yeah, and that was stressful for her, you know. Yeah. So eight weeks goes by, Nate mm-hmm. comes home. Yeah, we go spend the night in the desert with him. You know, my mom comes with us to Arizona, stays with Vita, her first time being overnight without me. And we, um, yeah, and we stay in the desert with him and do this and bring him home. And it's, you know, it's, there's distance, you know, like we're happy to see, I'm happy to see him, but I'm not sure he's happy, how happy he is to see me, you know, and there's a wall, 
Now there's yeah. some, everything's changed. Like, and he's not really admitting he has a big problem, but he agrees the meth was a bad idea, but he's not really, you know, he's not like gung ho on yeah. sobriety or anything. He's going to, yeah. I mean, the picture that comes to my mind, I have this photo of him. It's when he gets home about a, about a month after he gets home or two and it's prom, you know, and he's got the shaved head. He's got the dark sunglasses on and the suit, the black suit, you know, and he's, you know, he's, he's the man, you know, well, he's, he's 16, not right. Yeah. He's now seven. He's just turned 17. He's, you know, the end of his junior year and he's going to prom and he's, and I'm going through all the motions, but the mo the emo the emotions, but the emotions between us, we are not connected. Right. <clears throat> so what was that? What was that like? Like at that was it at that time that you started to feel? Um, I love I love the little excerpt from the way we stay when you talk about your your twelve years of driving to the grocery store. Did you start right. having those feelings of pain? fear, shame, and guilt when he was 16? Yeah. Before, yeah, as soon as, really as soon as I brought Vita home and I started to see it was, it was like, oh my gosh, here we, I don't know if I can do this. And I, yeah, I was not wanting to see people. Start That was starting. It was creeping in, but I was still hopeful. I was still sort of like, maybe it's not so bad. I guess yeah. that was, you know, bargaining with myself, like, Maybe it's just a stage. Maybe I'll get through it, you know. And so I guess I was just writing that line. But I was starting to be sort of horrified, you know, by his behavior. He wasn't the same fun-loving boy I praised, you know. And I was really, yeah, it was really hard to interact. And also I had this, these feelings at work, right, because I saw some of his teenage peers and I felt you know, like kind of like what would, what did they know that Nate was doing that I didn't, you know, or did we both know and we're walking, you know, it was tricky. So you definitely felt responsible for the way that Nate had turned out at the young age of 17. Yeah. And I think I blamed everybody else too. <laughs> yeah. Like his friends, his father, my father, my brother, my mother, uh, Larry, you know, um, my husband at the time, you know, I just, I was so angry, Seth. I was so mad. I'd worked so fucking hard, you know, and um, I had just given everything. I think I say in the book, I felt like this, you know, this waitress in this diner that had just saved every penny, every tip in this jar, you know, for like years, for 15 years, you know, and it was for all something really good. And then someone just came in and just stole it. Yeah. And I was just heartbroken. I didn't know what to do. I was powerless and heartbroken. I was mad because I felt like no one helped me. You know, I just, I felt really alone and like no one understood and that no one was helping me. I just felt like, yeah, I just, that, and that everyone thought it was my fault, you know, and I, I thought it was my fault too, but I didn't want everyone else to think that. Yeah. So it was really humble. I mean, it, it really took me down. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he was my baby. I mean, I, you know, I 
we played so much baseball and catch and I mean I was you know I wasn't perfect but I was devoted yeah yeah <laughs> you know? So there was definitely there was definitely some outside judgments. You there was some inside judgments from you saying yeah. like, "God damn, what what is it that I've done wrong? I've worked pretty much my entire life. I put myself through school basically to give us this better life, and here Nate is sixteen years old, and I'm already having to send this kid off to rehab. He comes back." the relationship is basically gone right yeah. from what from what i understand and it sounds like nate just kind of continues on right mm -hmm. like he continues on with his life um of i think he tries you know i think he tries to do the right thing but he struggles yeah so when did it let's talk about that 12 years of trips to the grocery store like i i i read that um little four page excerpt probably i actually went on and bought the book today um okay. so i'm super stoked to read it but i read that four page um excerpt of of the book about 15 times and every time that i read it like the pain that I felt, um, it kind of took me back to when I was caught up in my addiction, the guilt and the shame, like that shit resonated with me so much. And you know, the, the amount of time I don't think really matters. Um, and I don't know, I don't know where I'm going now, but, um, I, I think, you know, what is important when I talk about, you know, alcoholic, non-alcoholic, like we all struggle with the same shit. Um, you know, it sounds like a lot of the struggles that I had in my life, Nate had those same struggles. He, you know, loss of his dad, you know, his dad wasn't around, um, definitely felt uncomfortable with himself looking for some way out okay. for sure. Um, and, we, you know, unfortunately found that way out through drugs and alcohol. Actually, I can only speak for myself. That's how I got mm -hmm. out of myself. Yeah. Um, for you, you didn't have a way out. You had to deal with that shit for, for 12 years. Um, so let's talk about it. Like, mm -hmm. what was that? <clears throat> what was well, that like? Mm -hmm. And where did it, like, where did it ultimately lead you? Okay. Well, first of all, that so the alcoholic or the addict, right, uses to get out, right? But yep. the but but the person who loves the addict, the person who's, I'm the other part. The other part of the addiction is the enabling and the controlling and the managing. So that's what I had been doing to get out, right? I'm going to be the perfect mom. I'm going to be a perfect therapist. I'm going to marry somebody who, you know, is perfect too. I'm going to make it all look good that's that's my drug of choice yeah. you know and i say that every time we enable i say this to my clients that's their picking up that's their needle in the arm you know oh let me just get that for you <laughs> yeah. let me just check on my addict you know let me oh oh i'll manage that so i think that the escape for me was the control trying to control everything and be perfect and so 
I tried to do that for a while, you know, I tried to keep, so I'm at the, you know, I, I'm feeling all these feelings, but like I say in my book, I'm, I'm the master of compartmentalization. Well, the therapist, that's good training for that, right? You know, it's like you leave everything out, you leave your life outside the office and you're there to receive and listen to other people and be there for them and be what they need. Not, and what you need is, you know, left outside. And so I had a lot of practice doing that. So I had all these feelings, but I could pull it together in the car and go in and do, do my grocery shopping. I could do my job. I, I was a master at it and I wasn't integrated. It was separate. And yeah. I think that hurt Nate. I think that was a hurtful, you know, to him that all that. And I think that's how I, one of the ways I contributed all those years, even before he started using was the pressure I put him on him to be perfect because I wanted to be perfect. So then he had to be perfect and he couldn't wear those dirty shoes. And he had to, you know, and I was always disappointed, you know, like, Oh, you're not doing good enough. You know, I was always, I was living out of fear, Seth, you know, fear that I would be found out that I wasn't good enough. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and he, you know, so a good enough mother that I wasn't, uh, you know, this teenage mother, I had to be extra good because everyone thought I was going to fail. So I, yeah, so those years, so, you know, as it, things unraveled, I mean, so much happened, Seth, you know, Nate lost a best friend. He went fishing with his um, a, two kind of a using related act to a using related accident. Um, it was really awful. And then, um, he went fishing with his dad in Alaska. So then I thought, you know, silly me. I mean, I'm, I'm like, first I'm thinking, oh, no, it's going to turn him into more of an addict. But at the same time, maybe it'll take it out of him. You know, maybe being with his dad will be good, you know. And, he'll, you know, and he, I sent him to his dad's at one point, and that lasted about two weeks, I think, if that. You know, they got yeah. into it. And so um, I think I just I, – and then we – we went, um, I think I just did a lot of compartmentalizing for a long time at, for several years, um, just living two lives, one of pain and suffering, like a shard of glass is in my foot every day I'm in pain. But I, on the other hand, I was taking care of Vita. I was happy. We were going, we had this little property on the beach on this little outer island and it was magical and sweet and beautiful and so I, that was my salve, you know? Yep, yep. And, and then I, you know, just went back and forth until I started telling the truth, I guess. You know, till, which took a while. So I, as the addict, like I always talk about the, the moment that <sighs> I couldn't deal with my shit anymore. Yeah. That I had the, the courage to say like i i can't you know and i went i went to rehab two times um okay. had been told that i had a problem with drugs and alcohol pretty much my whole life um from the from the time that i from the time that i started um the first time i got drunk i got hammered um you know so basically throughout my entire drinking and drugging career it was basically like dude you take it way too far you have a problem um and then I got, I got to a certain point in my life and I just, I just think like I was fucking done. 
Um, what did that look like for you? Like, when were you done with being the enabler? The would you would you relate like as a codependent type? Sure. So mm-hmm. when when was it that you like awoke to that you didn't have to <clears throat> do that shit anymore? Well, I mean, I think right. It happens in different stages. So there was a point when Nate was about 19. So he'd been using since he was 15, you know, been to treatment at 16. So he was about 19 ish. I think he'd been fishing for about a year, maybe two, somewhere in there. And he was in my house and he's making, he's, you know, I'm finding the, you know, the big pen things in the drawer and white powder. And I'm, he's sleeping all day and I'm, you know, and these weird, these people are showing up that I hate at my house and it makes me want to lock my house. And I'm, you know, and I'm, there's these, I call them the lost boys. There were the boys that were in the drugs with them and none of them had dads either. You know, their dads weren't present. And so there was the lost boys and he was just, you know, they come in and he'd come in in the middle of the night and make food and leave all this stuff and then go in his bedroom and get up and in the morning, I'd be making him a quesadilla. And then finally, I was like, what am I doing? You know, and I, and he just wouldn't, he just was bringing all his toxicity into the house. And I, I couldn't take it. And um, so finally, one day he was getting ready to leave. And I said, you and I'd sign my I'd sign my name on this ex Terra for him, you know, co-signed because he couldn't get a loan. And of course, he broke it the first week, yeah. you know, and he he was just, and he wasn't paying the, you know, I was getting the calls. He wasn't making the payments or, you know, it was a nightmare. And finally I was just in the driveway one day and I, you know, I came, I decided you got to go, you know, you, you can't stay here. You can't, this can't be your place. If you don't pack up your stuff in the next couple, you know, in the next couple of days, I'll pack it up for you. You are not welcome here because I'm go, I got somewhere to go. Bye. You know? Yeah. And I'm like, well, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, and I'm standing in front of the car and I'm yelling, you know, and I'm just like, if you don't come home and pack it up after you get back from wherever you're going, um, I'm packing it up. This is it. And so that was sort of, I just broke. I pretty much, you know, he didn't talk to me for a few months after that. You know, he packed, he brought the lost girls and they helped him pack. And of course, Two, you know, some of them are my former clients and they're five, you know, younger than him. And I'm just like, yeah, it's just bad. You know, it was not pretty. And um, I stopped, I had stopped making quesadillas a little while before. I love that line from uh, Napoleon Dynamite. The grandma's like, make your own damn quesadilla. (laughs) And that's, (laughs) that's kind of what I came to. And uh, he, so he left, he went to Bellingham, Anacortes, ended up hanging out with some of his using friends, crashing at their places. He was fishing, so be gone for three months, come home with thousands of dollars. Yeah. They'd use it all up. He'd go back. He's driving his ex-Terra, got the DUI. You know, but at this point, I was really, he got the DUI. I was pretty distant. I wasn't helping him, but I was still on that car. So yeah. it still was some tension that way. I was still responsible for something, but I was trying to back out, yep. but I was still trying to maintain the, the story, Seth. I was still trying to walk the line, right? Yeah, for sure. I hadn't for surrendered sure. anything. I hadn't surrendered anything. So that, 
he went to court, you know, I went with him, met him in Bellingham, but I never bought him a lawyer. I never did anything like that. But I just, I was just distancing. I was sick all the time to my stomach, you know, Christmas. We never know if he's showing up, he'd show up, he'd be gray, you know, just gray from yep. opiates. Yep. Oh, it's just, I gave him a shirt one year for Christmas. I got the thrift store. It was green and in red. It said Bah Humbug. It still had tags, double XL. That was all I had for him. But I was still heartbroken. You know, I still, yeah. I still felt responsible. And then. So, I mean, there obviously had to be a point. I mean, did you ask for help or was it a pride thing because you had been in the mental health industry or mm -hmm. profession for so long that you were like, I don't need help or is there something in the book that you you talk about when you finally said like I can't fucking do this shit anymore I need oh some help So we'll fast forward a bunch because all this stuff happened and I was just distant and I was go you know and I was just helping my talking to other people in Al-Anon and stuff and just kind of reading helping myself talking to other people in recovery um desperate but but i mostly just kind of cut him out okay that i didn't really deal with it i cut him out till he met stacy then he meets stacy and then she's great but i'm like what is your problem sister why are you with this guy you know and but she stays and then i tell she gets pregnant and i tell her to leave and she you know i'm like i'd leave run run for the yeah, hell yeah. And she like stays. This, dude, this dude is my son, but he's a fucking wreck. Like, yeah. run. 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 So there's that. And then she doesn't. She has this beautiful bait. Well, and it becomes clear at this point that he's leaving her. He's going to Alaska. There's no food. There's no money. You know, I'm just, so I think, you know, there was this. So then I have to straddle it again, right? Then I'm back in because I'm not going to let her be alone with this baby. And then they have another baby. And, you know, and it's just, and then Nate says, can they come live with you? And I'm like, no, because I'm going away and we don't have any money. I'm like, you make twice as much as me, you know? And so then they move to Whidbey into the low-income housing because they're not married. And, and they live, live, live in the low-income apartments, and Nate's using. And I think that's then, and it's just so, nothing's changing. I'm like, Nate, you got to become a born-again. Like, I don't know what you're doing <laughs> here, but you got to do something. Like, you can't, you got to, if you're going to fish, you're going to have to be born again. You've got to stop using. I'm not using, Mom, I'm not using. You know, it was just insidious, Seth. It was yeah. so insidious. And I started going... And then they moved to Whidbey, and then I couldn't deny. Then the truth of my life started to come out because I'm driving back to my hometown every week, and I'm spending a night or two with Stacy. I'm helping her with these babies. I'm loving her, but I can't. It's I've, I'm dealing with my own trauma from childhood yeah. and my own adolescence and my relationship with Nate's dad and he's there too on the island. And so we're just kind of, and he just, yeah. And uh, we're just, I'm just, I'm raw. So finally I see that what I have to start telling the truth about and getting help for is my own issues, my relationship with my husband that isn't good. And I just have to start telling the truth, Seth. So that's what starts to happen. And this isn't about, 
Well, Canon is turning 10, I think it was about, so it was about 10 years, nine years ago. Okay. And so Nate, nine years ago, Nate's 33 now. So Nate would have been, how, what is that? Nine, so he was like 24. 24. Yeah, yeah. 24. So he'd been using for, you know, since he was about 15. Mm-hmm. And, and so and he has five years clean now. So, yeah. So anyways, that, I just started going, okay, I got to work on my own stuff. I don't, I told Stacy, I don't want to hear, I can't talk to you. You got to get your own program going. Yep. I don't want to be, I can't really be a part of it. I'll help. I'll do this, but I'm not talking about your money problems. I can't talk about Nate. You need help. I need help. Nate needs help. We all need help. So yep. that was the come to Jesus. That was the, when they moved to Whidbey and I started kind of facing and finally said, okay, I got to start telling the truth about my life. I can't fix anybody. And that's when I was sort of reduced to, to you know, nothing. And my whole life began to unravel. And, um, and I just let it. <laughs> yeah. No, but so, so did you feel like when you, when you said that, when you verbalized that, like, I can't fucking help you guys anymore. Yeah. Was there a weight that was lifted off of your shoulders when you realized that, I mean, not, I, I mean, obviously there was probably a lot of pain in verbalizing yeah. that and saying that. But yeah. for me, when I was like, dude, I need some fucking help. I can't do this shit no more. Yeah. Like I felt a yeah. huge sense of relief. Yeah, I did. I, and I called my therapist who I'd seen for years before and I started going to see him every week. And he, and I just said like, help me please not act any of this out and help me, help me feel it and hold it and move through it without, with doing the least amount of damage help, you know, and just be there for me. And it was, it was definitely a um, cathartic, really cathartic and um, painful. Sometimes I'd leave his office and I could just barely even, I, I was in an altered state. Yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't really process. I'd have to pull over on the side of the road. I was, you know, I'm not one to name panic attacks. I'm not really a labeler of those things, but I'm, it was just like, I, my whole body was like foreign, you know, to me for a while. And I was just moving through one day at a time, one minute at a time. I was reading Pema Chodron when things fall apart, like mm -hmm. a Bible, like backwards, forwards, reading the language of letting go by Melanie Beattie backwards and forwards, breathing, praying. I was putting, I put Nate in God's hands. I think that's in the excerpt. Yep. yep. Putting Stacy in there. Just, I was just, it was everything I could do to just move one foot in front of the other for quite a while and just trust. And I had to just trust that I, I was letting go of my addiction, right. Of control. Mm -hmm. And I was slowly letting it go. And I, I, I think it's, I think it's super important that you share that and that you share with like what that um, recovery program looked like and what <laughs> it looks like today, because there are so many people out there um, that got, get caught up in their attic or alcoholic loved one and they yeah. totally forget about themselves and they totally forget that, yeah, the alcoholic and addict is going through some shit, but I truly believe, um, that the guilt on a, if you wanted to ca compare them on like levels, 
mm-hmm. and the shame and the pain that I feel that Nate felt in, when mm-hmm. he was caught up in his addiction is equal to and probably even maybe a little less, I can only speak for myself, than mm-hmm. some of the pain that you were going through. Um, yeah. So, you know, for, for the addict and alcoholic, like there's, there's a ton of programs out there for us. There's AA, NA, um, Refuge Recovery, Celebrate Recovery. There's all this stuff that um, is kind of tailored and created for the addict or the alcoholic. What is it, um, you know, was it a program that you worked? Is there something that you could speak to to you know, the listener out there that is a family member of the addict or alcoholic and share maybe some of that experience, strength and hope with the wife, the mother, the son, the daughter that is struggling with their loved ones struggling. Yeah. Well, I think the principles of Al-Anon were everything. And I didn't go to a lot of meetings because I didn't, feel safe to do that in my small town, you know, but just because of my work, but I did have a group of friends that were Alan on savvy, you know, and they, so they were huge for me and the readings, like I said, and therapy. I mean, that's, that was where I could, that's where I could heal. And I say, I think what I say to people is turn that energy. So every time I felt like caretaking Nate and Stacy, I turned that, what do I need? Yeah. You know, yeah. so it was like, because the urge is, I'm going to buy the, I'm buying stuff. I want to go there. I'm, so I started to take things for myself, you know, take the walk, do the exercise. Exercise is huge for me. And I think it is for maybe you and, and uh, that sober guy too. Um, yeah. yeah, for sure. There's definitely, you know, outside of the, you know, the, um, the AA and the NA, there's definitely, you know, additional work for us to do. Um, you know, one thing that I've, I've really gotten into, I'm super stoked. I've gotten into yoga, um, doing a little bit uh, of yoga, um, and the mindfulness meditation, you know, obviously I would Mm -hmm. love to get my ass back into the gym. Um, Mm -hmm. but there's something there that's holding me back and I don't, I don't know what that is yet. Um, but yeah. it, there is definitely those things outside of the rooms of recovery that we could do for ourselves that make us feel maybe a little bit of worth. Um, cause that was one of the things that I felt when I was caught in my addiction and I still struggle with it today is that I'm not like, I, I have a lack of self-worth that I may not be good enough. Um, but when I, when I'm connected to my program, like I'm good, like I'm, I'm worth it. I feel good. I feel good about myself. And I think, you know, just on a human level, um, that that kind of stuff is super important community. Um, you know, you, you, uh, reached out to Al-Anon, although you didn't go to a lot of meetings and and whatnot, you did follow a lot of their teachings and I'm sure there was a lot of work, um, involved to dedicate yourself to that and to really take that shit in and kind of work some of the, um, I, I'm not even going to act like I know what Alan <laughs> is like, but is there, is it like a, is it like a 12 step mm-hmm. program? Mm-hmm. Just like, okay. Yeah. Right. So it's admitting you're powerless and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same. It's like I said, it's like, 
enabling's our drink. Yeah. You know. So it was working that. And um I think the most painful part for me, you know, was setting those boundaries with my daughter-in-law. I felt like I was kind of abandoning her, but in order for things to change, and it was really sad for the two of us because we had been so close and I, we'd been just really tight and that we were in the foxhole together is what I like to say. And, and, and we had to, we couldn't really stay there for things to change. And so now, so that was really painful for both of us, but it was necessary. Um, in order for growth to happen and um, yeah so that started nine years ago but it took four more years after that sort of me starting to write I call it sort of writing my own ship of my life getting it back healthy and on course and and telling the truth and just being on yeah just changing my own life then then Nate then Stacy then Stacy finally you know came to her bottom, you know, and uh, surrendered. And, you know, she just couldn't do it. Another minute, yeah. took everything out of her. You know, Nate was just, had his addiction had just taken everything. You know? Yeah. And um, so. So do, do you feel that Stacy maybe saw kind of the stuff, um, the – the release that you were getting from some of the help that you, you sought, she saw that out of you and that's kind of what she wanted. And did she I, lean on you for help uh, to, to get out or was this something no. that Stacy was able to just kind of do on her own? She likes to do things on her own, Matt Stacy. Yeah. <laughs> she, you know, she let me love her, you know, she let me love her through all of that, you know, and I did, I tried not to, I didn't, I did my best not to enable and I just tried to love her and love the boys. And, but I also did share my Alan on stuff with her. And, um, there's a part in the book where she takes, um, you know, she comes up here in the summer and she finally tells me Nate's using heroin. and He's been in the bathroom using heroin and the boys are in the living room. She's at work, mm-hmm. you know, doing massage and, uh, she finally, you know, it's that bad, you know, it's finally that bad. And it's the summer that Cannon is turning. So he's turning 10. So, you know, it's the summer that he turned four or something. Yeah. So he is four years, just about to be four. And I call my friend from Al-Anon and I say, will you take, take Stacy to an Al-Anon meeting? They're visiting me up here on San Juan Island. And, uh, Stacy and the boys are Nate's fishing and he comes he we meet in town and he takes her and takes her to the farmer's market afterwards it gets her a little massage and talks to her about Al-Anon stuff and then um and then that later that summer she connects with a neighbor who takes her to church mm-hmm. and and she's she just surrenders like she's just too tired she cannot do it yeah. it's that's it and uh and then she starts to share that with Nate and what's changing in her life and it's you know and her whole life starts to change through her relationship with God and this church that really just surrounds her with love mm. and so she starts to you know finally face some of her fears and her responsibility things you know that part of her illness her sickness right yep 
and yeah. starts to learn about Al-Anon and, or learn about the Al-Anon principles and about letting God and giving things to God and letting things get bad, get worse so that they can get better. Yep. Yep. For sure. Yeah. So I don't, I don't want to get into Nate's story too much because I want to have this dude on the show. I want to <laughs> okay. talk to Nate. Um, Great. <laughs> so Nate eventually gets sober, right? Yeah. Gets clean. Mm-hmm. We're going to leave it at that because I want to hear okay. that story from Nate. Awesome. Siri, what I want to hear from you, what, is your, what was your inspiration behind The Way We Stay? Oh, you know, I was, I'm in a, I, I just, I've been saying for a long time, I need to get this out of me. (laughs) I have this whole story, you know, and I think Nate getting clean and staying clean started to make me feel like I could take a breath and really lay it down. Yeah. And um, there was a young mom here like in her thirties that was right doing some writing and she was writing every morning and her Instagram, she'd be like, just writing at 5am every morning. You know, she's got two little kids. She's in her mid thirties. And I'm like, look, I have a teenager and I have a story to tell and I can write for an hour every morning, you know, like I can do, I should do that. Like she inspired me. She totally inspired me. And I was, had been going to Pilates at 6am and to TRX like every morning. So I was in this thing where I was up at five doing my exercise, you know, ready, you know, so I had the, I was in that mind frame and I was feeling really good. And I just said, okay, I'm going to write for a year. It started in February. Um, so February, two years ago. So it would have been February, 2016. And I just said, I'm going to write for a year and see what happens. So I didn't really tend to write the book. I just intended to lay down the story and get it out of me. But after about a month, I realized something more. I needed some help. So I connected with a woman that I met on Instagram that I kind of been following. Mm-hmm. And she was a writing coach. And I emailed her. And um, her name's Claire Bidwell-Smith. And she writes about grief. And she's a therapist. So she's a writer and a therapist. She has a new book coming out, too, called Anxiety, The Missing Stage of Grief in September. but Claire just checked my email. She goes, I don't know. I'm kind of busy. What do you want? You know, and what are you writing about? So I told her, she said, okay, you know, and then I hurried up and read her book and then, <laughs> cause I didn't even read her book. Yeah, yeah. And I met with her about halfway you know, on the phone and we talked every two to six weeks about what I was writing. And she just sort of helped me start to tell the story, the AB kind of back and forth, the AB storyline. And, um, it, it just flowed out of me. I was writing in between sessions. I, the story started to come out of me once I knew, once she helped me figure out what my voice was and what I was trying to say. And I basically was writing, you know, two sentences in between sessions and I was writing in the ferry line and on the ferry and I was waiting for Vita to get out of school and work. And I was every morning I get up excited. I'd be dreaming about what I was going to write. I it was just it was begging to come out. So I just poured out of me and by August it was all out. So between February and August, it all just came out and then I, you know, tight worked on it, you know, and stuff. And it was such a relief. I mean, it was such a relief to just, 
I could breathe finally because I'd already really done the work. People say, was it cathartic to do it? It really wasn't because I'd processed so much with Dawn, right. my therapist. So it was more like putting the jars on the shelf after canning. It wasn't the mess. It yep. was just kind of like, oh, there, it's all yep. put away now. Yeah. So it was really a relief to write it. Yeah, it's super, like I said, I've read those, the, the excerpts, um, mm. super raw. It's some fucking good, good shit. Um, if the listener out there is trying to find this book, trying to find out yeah. some more information about you, Siri, mm -hmm. where can they find you at? Well, I'm most active on my Instagram. It's just Siri Demeth, and you can find me there. I have an author page on Facebook, and that's, um, and that's easy to find my name as well. And then, um, let's see, you can buy the book on Amazon, or you can go to your local independent bookstore, and they can order it for you. And if you do that, and you have a little local bookstore, and you want me to come or do it, do, or if you want to do it as a book club, let me know where you are, and I'd love to, you know, help you or be a part of that in some way. But yeah, I'm try to be accessible. I try to respond, you know, within 24 hours to any communication that people send. I've been loving getting people's feedback about the book. So I really like to hear your story and how it affects you. Um, and that's, that's the main, that's, that's how you reach me. I have a website too, siridemoth.com and um, all my, you can reach me through that too. So Siri, uh, we're going to wrap this thing up. Um, I've, I've enjoyed our conversation. It's been, it's been awesome. Um, your love and passion, compassion and your passion for helping others, um, is most definitely felt for sure. Um, to the mom or wife or loved one, um, out there that's struggling with, with their own shit. Um, what words of advice can you give? Wow. Well, first of all, I'm just glad you're listening and you're just gathering information and hearing people's stories. That's probably the first thing is that you're not alone. Like one woman said uh, about after reading my book, she posted on her Facebook, she said, um, she's one of us, read it, <laughs> yeah. you know, and it's like, you're not alone. And just keep telling your story, keep telling the truth, find the people who understand and who aren't blaming you and it's not your fault it, it's addiction it's a human condition you know and some of us have it and some of us don't but we're all a part of it we usually all play some role in it and just love your figure out how to love yourself you know because you're probably in there that little girl in there that little boy whatever he's still sort of beating himself up beating herself up like bring her on your lap sit with her then pass that love on you know when Nate said um, I don't think I could give Nate the love that he needed till I loved myself yeah and um, I asked him a few weeks ago right before he read the book actually a couple months ago and I said was there anything I did that helped and he said well there was just one point when you stopped trying to fix me and you just were loving me and yeah. he said and Stacy too and he said I felt it it felt different and that helped him get the courage to, yeah. I think, do what he needed to do. Not to mention God, I think. You know, God really came down. So find your higher power. Find your people. Love yourself. 
that's love and tell the truth and tell the truth tell the truth siri much love it's been awesome thanks for joining me today um thank you for having me seth you're amazing you're awesome i love meeting you here thank you so to the listener out there that still struggles please do not be afraid to reach out there's um a tons of resources out there resources out there thanks for listening much love respect and keep your blood clean <laughs>